Welcome to Common Ground Church Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believes that if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. No matter your background, we can agree that culture has a complex relationship with money and morality. While wealth is often celebrated, there is also a stigma attached to being perceived as greedy or materialistic. Ironically, we have never had such a strong culture of consumerism rife in society and the church. At a deeper, more personal level, we know that money has incredible power to form us, power for health and flourishing, as well as pain and destruction. We also know that many of us live in a reality of hardship and scarcity, especially in South Africa. Yet we believe that God has wisdom and freedom from all the trappings and anxieties associated with money, as well as guidance on how to view it in its appropriate place and allow it to be the gift and blessing it can be. In this God and Money series, we seek to explore the intent of God's views on these matters, knowing that the ways of God in all things can lead to flourishing, life, joy, and healing. Please continue listening for our next installment of our God and Money series. So good morning, church. So we'll be reading from the New International Version, and we'll be starting in the book of Luke, actually chapter 12, verses 13 to 34. It's the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, well, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I shall do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I shall say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Don't worry. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, Why do you worry about the rest? 
Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Thank you, Henry. We are in the midst of a four-part series in the life of Common Ground that we have entitled God and Money. And once a year, we like to look at a key discipleship issue and concentrate on that uh, for a number of weeks. Last year, we looked at God and sexuality, and this time we're looking at God and money. And if you're at church for the first time in a long time, I'm sure you're thinking, can we go back to the God and sexuality series? Because we could be speaking this morning on a biblical picture for enduring sexual satisfaction from the book of Proverbs and Song of Songs, but instead we're looking at money and in particular greed. Hold your applause. I know a real crowd pleaser, is it not? This is the one you've been waiting for. Can we get to greed, please? Can we get to the money, please? I wanna hear this message. Now, you may be asking yourself, why are we going there? Well, it it may be uh, informative to you to know that actually Jesus spoke more about money than heaven and hell combined. And so because Jesus goes there, uh, we as a church need to go there. And uh, this morning we're going there and we're going there looking at greed. And I wanna look at greed under three headings, the hiddenness of greed, the nature of greed and the remedy of greed. The hiddenness of greed, the nature of greed, and the remedy of greed. Let's begin with the hiddenness of greed. The context here in Luke 12 is that Jesus has been teaching to a large crowd and he has been teaching about some really important things. He's been speaking about hypocrisy. He's been speaking about eternity. He's been speaking about how our actions impact eternity when all of a sudden some dude breaks in and it says, excuse me, Jesus, there's an inheritance dispute in our family. Uh, can, can, can you just make a judgment here? And like Jesus is like, whoa, 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 time out here. Who appointed me? Me judge, I don't see the family mediation board uh, behind me as I'm speaking. And so Jesus is then about to kick back into what he was originally teaching about when he just can't. And the reason why he can't is because he sees somebody that is caught up in something that they're completely blind to. And so being the good shepherd, Jesus always wants to see people set free in the truth which is why he says and stops and says in verse 15, watch out, be on your guard, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. 
A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's actually a very strong thing to say, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he tells a parable, a parable that would have shocked the crowd and a parable that would have stunned this guy who had the original question. It would have stunned him because he's like thinking, Jesus, why are you talking about greed? The issue on the table here isn't a greed issue, it is a justice issue. My brother is illegally withholding my rightful share of the inheritance. Can you pack your greed message away and can we get your justice message? Hashtag pay back the money. He needs to pay back the money. What's going on here? But, but, but Jesus knows better. He knows how insidious greed is, which is why he says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. By inference, Jesus is saying that it is possible to be caught up in a just cause, but actually to be motivated by greed. Part of the great challenge of greed is that greed conceals itself. You don't find Jesus saying, watch out against sexual immorality. Why doesn't he do that? Well, because sexual immorality is overt, right? You know when you're crossing the line. Not so with greed. Greed hides itself. In the parable of the sower, Jesus speaks about the deceitfulness of wealth. Greed and money have a way of lying to us and deceiving us. Tim Keller, in his excellent book, Counterfeit Gods, writes the following. He says, innumerable writers and thinkers have been pointing out that the culture of greed has been eating away at our souls and has brought about economic collapse. Yet no one thinks that change is around the corner. Why? It is because greed is especially hard to see in ourselves. Nobody thinks they are greedy. As a pastor, I have, uh, I have people come to me to confess that they struggle with almost every kind of sin. Almost, because I cannot recall anyone ever coming to me and saying, I'm spending too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family, my soul, and the people around me. Greed hides itself from the victim. The money God modus operandi includes blindness to your own heart. Friends, let's think about it. Most of us are in life groups, small groups, where people share their struggles and their temptations and their difficulties. And all of us would have been in life groups where people come and say, I've got this cancer diagnosis and it's gonna be a very difficult time, or I've lost this job, or I'm having a relational fallout, can you please pray for me? Have any of you ever been in a life group where at the prayer time somebody just said, hey guys, I just really need prayer. I've just had a bumper salary increase and I'm really concerned that I'm just gonna spend all of this money on myself. I'm, I'm really concerned that greed's gonna win the day and that I'm gonna become really distracted from God and His purposes. Has that ever been a prayer request in your life group? It's never been a prayer request in the context that I have been, which is why Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Well, why is greed so elusive? Let me, let me suggest two reasons. Reason number one is that nearly all of us socialize with people that are wealthier than us. 
It is in fact a sign of, of health to have a social group with the diversity of uh, economic situations, people that are less well-off than you and people that are more well-off than you. But because most of us have good friends that are wealthier than us, we can always assume that, that their lifestyle is really the goal for our lifestyle. Their standard of living becomes the blueprint for our standard of living. And we always feel on the wrong side of that economic gap, right? They're like, look how fantastic their life is. That's the goal, that's what we wanna get to. And so we feel that economic gap. And because we feel that economic gap, we never think greed's in play because we're the poor ones, we're the ones with less. How can the people with less have a greed issue? It's not even on the radar. And the second reason why greed hides itself is because we feel like very comfortable uh, pointing out the worst forms of greed in others in our society. For those of you old enough here, you will remember the 1987 blockbuster movie, Wall Street, where M Michael Douglas plays a high-flying broker, stockbroker called Gordon Gecko. And there's an iconic scene in that movie where Gordon Gecko stands up in a shareholders meeting to try and save the company. And he says the following, he says, the point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for the lack of a better word, is good. Greed Greed is right, greed works, greed clarifies, it cuts through, it captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, for knowledge has marked the upward surge of mankind and greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but the other malfunctioning corporation called the USA, thank you very much and he wins the vote. And for many years, actually, this wasn't seen as a negative movie clip. This was seen like, Gordon Gecko, yeah! And then the 2007 credit crunch happened and people got nuked and this became, it went from being a bad, a good clip to becoming a bad clip. And we all say, we're not Gordon Gecko. We're not the person that would stand up and say, greed is good and greed is right and greed cuts through. And greed is part of the evolutionary spirit. None of us will say that. But that hides greed in our own hearts. Let me ask you a question this morning. Where do you think greed is manifest in South Africa? Let's think about it. If you were to identify where greed is manifest in South Africa, how would you answer? My guess is that 99% of us have picked one of three. It is a politician. It is a businessman, or it is somebody who works for ESCOM, right? Those are the three areas we're going for greed in South Africa. None of us are saying my own heart. Even though in this very section, I'm talking about how greed hides, even though I'm pointing you towards the fact that you could have greed in your life, when I say to you, where is greed manifest in South Africa? It's all out there. It's not in here. Uh, John Paul uh, Rollett writes the following in the Atlantic speaking about greed. He says, if we reject some conduct but rarely meet an example, we enjoy the benefit of being high-minded without the burden of moral restraint. 
as a matter of public discourse and polite conversation, greed is unlikely to be good anytime soon. But listen to this, brilliant. But a vice need not become a virtue for the end result to look the same. Greed hides because we say, we're not that politician, we're not that businessman, we're not that ESCOM employer, we're not Gordon Gecko. But that doesn't mean that there isn't greed in our life. If you said to me, Stephen, do you play golf? And I'd say, hey, I, no, no, I don't play golf. And they're like, what are you talking about? We just checked out Strava. We, we, we saw you're on a golf course. And then I go, oh, well, well, yeah, I'm, I'm on a golf course, but I'm not Tiger Woods. It's like, yeah, we know you're not Tiger Woods, but you play golf, right? Yeah, I do. But we do that with greed. We say, well, because I'm not an expert at greed, <laughs> that doesn't mean that there isn't greed in your life. And friends, I've studied and I've taught on this, and yet in my own life, there's been hiddenness of greed that I've had to bring to God and say, Lord, can you, can you deal with this? We, we allow the worst versions of others to conceal the reality of greed in our own life. So firstly, the hiddenness of greed. Secondly, the nature of greed, the nature of greed. Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard against all forms of greed. And then he tells a parable, and he tells a parable because greed isn't a one-trick pony. Greed is a multi-headed monster, and so he tells a parable to help give us some red flags, to help give us some contours in order to spot it in our own lives. And in verse 16, he tells them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded a abundant harvest. He thought to himself, notice how uh, uh, how sophisticated, psychologically sophisticated this parable is. Jesus now goes into an internal conversation that this guy has. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said to himself, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you'll get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. In this section, Jesus highlights at least three red flags, at, at, at least three contour lines to help us spot and discern greed in our own lives. The first thing I want you to notice about this guy in the parable is that his whole life was about himself. In six short verses, he 11 times refers to himself. Notice the I and my. This guy's whole life is about himself. He fills the whole horizon of his life. As he has his internal conversation with himself, the whole thing is focused on himself. Nobody else is taken into account at all. All his, his planning and his dreaming is caught up in himself. Secondly, I want you to notice that he completely ignores God. This guy is not rich to God in any way. In all his deliberations, he never references God, his ways, his desires, his goal. He is living in a God-free zone. He is completely oblivious to God 
in the way that he deliberates. And then thirdly, I want you to notice that this guy uh, makes his whole life about getting more stuff. His whole life is about money and possessions and he's caught up with, with, with gathering more and storing more. And when that happens in our lives, friends, our stuff assumes a God-like significance. It becomes like a functional God in our lives. And as Carl Ellis points out in his commentary in Luke, this parable is a tragedy. It is a tragedy and it's a tragedy because this guy thought of himself as an owner, but actually he was being owned. He, he thought he owned possessions, but actually the possessions owned him. He, he thought he was in control. He's making these great strategic plans. He's got it all worked out. He's in control, but actually he is completely out of control, but he is oblivious to that reality. He sees himself as the landlord, but actually he's a spiritual tenant. He sees his money as his, but actually his possessions are alone. And then we get God's sobering assessment. God's sobering assessment of this guy is, you fool. Now friends, this is incredibly sobering because if this guy existed in Cape Town in 2023, he would be applauded. He would be a poster boy. He would be the business person of the year on MoneyWeb. We, we, would, we would think that he's outstanding. Look at how his company has grown and look how he's expanding and, and, and the, the share price is up and, and, and he's incredible. But God's assessment is not that he's incredible. God's assessment is you fool. Now, was he a fool because he was hardworking? No. Was he a fool because he was a success? No. Was he a fool because he had expansion plans? No. He was a fool because he had made a series of critical wrong assumptions. He thought that he was an owner when actually he was only a steward. He thought that he was in complete control of his life and his future when actually he was hanging by a thread. He lived ignoring God, the most important person in the universe. He was utterly un prepared to face his maker. And yet that was gonna happen that very night. Friends, Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. He doesn't say it is hard to serve both money. It is unlikely to serve both God and money. Jesus says you cannot do it. It is impossible. And if you try to do it, you will by default serve money. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. And as we saw last week, money has an incredible force to form us. Jesus knows more than almost anything else in the world, money wants to assume a God-like function in our lives. For some of you, the way that you relate to money is about security. Money gives you the security that you long for and that you crave and that you deeply desire. Which is why if somebody asks you to give up your money, it's like them asking you to switch off your life support system. Who does that? Nobody switches off their life support system. It's like, are you mad? I'm not gonna give up my money. My money is my very security. But for others of you, the way that you relate to money isn't as a security, it's an enabler. 
You want money because money enables you to do the things that you really want. So for some of us, we really crave comfort, right? We want money because that enables us to buy the creature comforts that cause our souls to purr. For for others of us, it's not about comfort, it's about adventure, right? We want money so we can get to do the fun stuff. We can do those those awesome adventure, those those thrilling events that we can post on Insta. We we, we wanna have the adventure. For others of us, it's not about adventure, it's about wowing the world, right? We want the boots and we want the clothes and we want the shoes and we want the watch and we want the hair. We, we We wanna wow the world, but in order to do that, We need the money, baby. Show me the money so that I can get it done. And what's interesting is when you get a security kind of, I worship the security God money and the I worship the enabler money God people and they come together, they don't like each other. Like the security, uh, you know, money as security people look at the enablers and say, I can't believe that they're wasting their money on depreciating assets like that. They're crazy. And then, and, and then the enabler types is like, have you, have you hung out with those security money people? They are so stingy. It's like unbelievable. The, the bull comes around and it's like, you know, uh, crocodile arms, you know, they, they're never paying for anything. And, and, and then the two, the, two can't, the two can't stand, the two can't stand each other. But friends, however you relate to money, there is a tendency. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah, there, is a, there is a temptation. We're having a good time during the 830. Um, there is a temptation to relate to money as God, which is why Paul says in Colossians 3 or Ephesians 5, he calls greed for what it is. He calls greed idolatry. Greed is the inordinate desire for wealth and possessions that ends up replacing God as the source of our joy, our hope, our security and focus. Greed at its heart is an inordinate desire, a disordered love, a replaced craving for wealth and possessions ahead of and instead of God. So the hiddenness of greed, the nature of greed, and finally, the remedy of greed, the remedy of greed. How are we gonna get over greed in our lives? Well, the thing that I love about this series is that what we are doing is a God and money series. We are not doing a money series. This series isn't about money, it is about God and money. And the way that we overcome greed in our lives isn't actually to focus on money. The way that we overcome greed is to focus on God. Because what's incredible is Jesus warns them about uh, about the pervasiveness of greed. He then tells this parable about this guy that makes a series of bad decisions. And then the rest of the section in Luke that we've looked at is all about God and about what He is like. And I wanna tell you four things about God to help all of us, the preacher included, overcome greed. Think, first thing about God is that God knows. Notice verses 29 and 30. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. Friends, when the world is pressing in and when you're in a difficult economic environment like we are in South Africa, hello, 
inflation up, interest rates up, load shedding up, rand tanking, economy stalling. It, it, it is very easy to allow fear to grip you. And when fear grips you, we become isolated. And when we isolated, what happens? We feel alone. And when we feel alone, we feel like our way is hidden from God. But Jesus clearly and repeatedly through this passage tells us in a multiplicity of ways that our ways are not hidden from God. We are not isolated. We are not alone. God knows what we are going through. God knows our situation. He knows our daily pressures. He knows what we need. And I love this about the Bible. I love the fact that the God of the Bible isn't some weird spiritual whack job, oblivious to the daily pressures of life. No, the God of the Bible, the God that Jesus tells us about is somebody who knows what's going on. He knows the deal. He's got the finger on the pulse of our lives. Not only does He know what is going on, but He cares. Jesus uses incredibly creative illustrations to drive home the fact that God doesn't just know about our situation, but He cares about our plight. Notice verse 23, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. In other words, your life is way more important than food and clothing. You're not just another item in pick and pay. Not at all. You are way more special than that. Notice verse 24, how much more valuable you are than birds. It's not just that you're not another item in pick and pay, actually you are uniquely created. You're not just another creature. You are way more valuable than birds because you've been made in the image of God. Men and women made in the image of God, which gives you an incredible special status before God. You are way more valuable than the creatures. And then notice verse 28. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will He clothe you? Jesus repeatedly draws comparison for highlighting the fact that He really cares. More, how much more, how much more. Friends, have you allowed this to sink in? Do you know that God cares? Have you allowed the fact that God cares to take root? He doesn't just know, but that He cares for you. Now for some of you that are going through a very difficult time, the fact that God knows and the fact that God cares isn't enough to penetrate you. You wanting to push back and say, Steve, I'm really glad that God knows and I'm really glad that God cares, but I've got an auntie and she knows my situation and she cares about my situation, but she's completely broke and she can't do anything to help me. But friends, in this passage in Luke 12, we see not just that God knows and that God cares, but we also see that God has got more than enough. We may have a provision problem. South Africa may have a provision problem, but God does not have a provision problem. Jesus says, not me, Jesus says, consider the birds. 
And you think, what's the big deal about that? He says, consider the birds. I'm feeding them every day and they do nothing to contribute to that. They're like teenagers. They're not helping out in any way. They consume only. They drain the account, they do not add to the account. I'm feeding the birds. And you say, cool, I'm, 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 I'm glad he's feeding the birds, but so what? Well, Google how many birds on the planet and you will discover there are 50 billion birds, conservatively. Some want to go high, as high as 430 billion, but most people think 50 billion is a conservative number for the number of birds that, that, that it, there are on planet Earth at the moment. Not 50 million, 50 billion. Let's imagine this afternoon you go home and you phone Mr. Delivery and go, hi, I'd like to place an order, how much? Uh, like, uh, like to cater for 50 billion. They go, what, 50 million? No, 50 billion. And, and, and when would you like this? Uh, immediately, and, and, and the frequency of the order? Every day for the rest of the existence of this planet. How often? 24 hours a day. Where? Everywhere around the world. A logistic impossibility. A logistic impossibility. Yet God has been doing this since the creation of the world. You weren't even aware of it. Like the birds, like so what? Bah, nothing. Incredible, phenomenal, beyond the brightest minds. If we got the very best minds in the world, they wouldn't be able to execute the brief. And God's been doing that in His sleep. And you haven't even been aware about it. You haven't even known that it's happening. And He's doing it. And He's like, I've got the birds. I've got you. And some of you are in such economic peril, you wanna go, yeah, I'm sure he's got me. Seeds, thank you very much. And actually God says, there's more than seeds on the menu for the birds. But I, I know the hardness of heart. So if Jesus is here in 2023, he says, you may not be impressed with the 50 billion birds that I'm feeding, but I'm just gonna go. West Coast flowers, baby. I do abundance. I do luxury, I do beauty for beauty's sake. No one has ever sown a seed in the West Coast. Nobody's ever looked after those flowers. They've never watered them, they've done absolutely nothing. But come August, people from around the country in different parts of the world come to look. Boom, look at this. It's incredible, it is so beautiful, it's majestic. And what's it about? Well, the flowers are there for the glory of God, but they're also here for you in 2023 when everything's pressing in. And God's saying, I've got you, not just enough to get you through, I've got you, I've got enough. I've actually got more than enough. I've got more than enough. I've got the birds, I've got the flowers, I've got you. And the final thing we see about God here in Luke 12 is it's not just that God knows and that God cares and that God's got more than enough. We see that God isn't holding back in any way. Check out verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Friends, there's no reluctance in the heart of God. Some of you think that God is holding back, but He isn't holding back. 
He isn't holding back in any way. You know, some of us have got incredibly loving mothers that we know love us immensely, but there's that disillusioning moment when we discover that they've actually got that secret chocolate stash that they didn't tell us about. (laughs) They were holding back something. We thought that they were giving us all their love, but actually there was a secret chocolate stash that they were holding to themselves. But what we discover here in Luke 12 is that God is better than the very best of moms because He isn't holding anything back. It's my pleasure to give you the kingdom. And we know that for sure. We know that without a shadow of a doubt because Jesus tells us, does this teaching in the shadow of the cross. This section uh, in Luke, Luke 12 is in the travel narrative uh, from Luke 9 to 19 where Jesus is traveling to where? He's traveling to Jerusalem. What's he traveling to Jerusalem for? He's traveling to Jerusalem to die. He's traveling to Jerusalem to become the sacrificial lamb. He's traveling to Jerusalem to become our sin bearer. He's traveling to Jerusalem to be whipped and beaten and nailed to a cross. He's traveling to Jerusalem to cry out, Eloi, Eloi, Laba Sabathini. My God, my God, why have you been, why have you forsaken me? He's going to Jerusalem to be forsaken so that you and I would never be forsaken. He was forsaken so that we could enter in. And because he's going to die on the cross, it is the Father's pleasure to give us the kingdom. God is not holding back from you in any way whatsoever, which is why Paul can write in Romans 8, 31 and 32, for if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Can you see the logic? The father has already done the hardest thing imaginable. The hardest thing you could have ever asked the father to do was to give up his son and he's already done that. And because he's already done that, he's got the rest. Jesus has climbed Mount Everest for you. And because he's climbed Mount Everest for you, he can handle the park run around the common. He's got it. He can handle that. He's done Everest. He can handle the park run. Friends, whatever financial pressure you're going through, whatever difficulty you're facing, God has got it. And he can handle it. And the transforming effect that that should have on our lives is threefold. We should trust, not fret. Friends, if we get who God is, if we see God clearly, we should trust, not fret. The refrain throughout this section is, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. We see this instruction in verse 22, 25, 26, 29, and then in 32, he says, do not be afraid. Friends, if we get who God is, if we see God clearly, the God who cares, the God who sees, the God who's got more than enough, the God who uh, wants us to fully enter into the kingdom, who isn't holding back in any way. If we get that, we will trust God, not get caught up in worry. We will understand that He has got us. He's got the birds, He's got the flowers, He's got us. And that should release us to trust, not to fret. Secondly, if we see God clearly, it will cause us to seek God, not money. Friends, there are two destinations in Luke 12. It is 
you're either gunning for money or you're gunning for God. And Jesus says, you need to make a choice. The people around us are running after money and possessions. That's what they're gunning for. That's what they're going for. And he says, don't do that. Actually seek the kingdom. Seek God. There's a choice. You you can't do both. You need to choose. Either you're going for God. Either you're seeking God or you're seeking money and possessions. And Jesus is crying out to us. He's given us all of these reasons. Please seek God. Seek God because He is God and one day you're gonna have to give an account to Him. So seek God because He is God, but seek God because He is of infinite worth, because He is of most value. And friends, if you really seek God for who He is and if you truly encounter Him, then even if your worst nightmare happens and you end up with nothing, you'll be able to say with the Apostle Paul, having nothing yet possessing everything. Even if your worst nightmare plays out, if you've sought the Lord, if you truly pursued Him with your whole heart and you get to a earthly situation where you've literally left with nothing, you can say, hey, I'm not gonna pretend having nothing yet possessing everything. To have God is enough. God is more than enough. Not just for this three score and 10, God is more than enough for all eternity. For all eternity, we are gonna be enjoying God and feasting on God and delighting on God and we'll never get to the end of the wonder and the glory of God. And then the final application from this passage is flow don't damn. Jesus says, if you get who God really is and you see who He is in all of His wonder, then what you're gonna do is you are gonna be really generous. And we're gonna look at generosity next week, so I'm not gonna go there. But God's ultimate goal in your life isn't to enrich you, but to make you His agent. God's ultimate goal isn't to make you wealthy, but to make you an ambassador, to make you somebody who represents Him on planet Earth. And in this passage, we've seen that God has provided, God is generous, God meets our needs. And that's why in verse 33, Jesus calls us to do the same. Jesus calls us to radical generosity. Jesus is saying in love, if you get who God is, and if you get the gospel, then you will long for God more than you long for anything else. And when you seek God with all your heart, what you're gonna discover is that He'll provide for you. And very often He'll provide you with more than you need. But in those moments where He's provided for you more than you need, don't damn up those blessings. Don't just store them up for yourself. Be a river that flows out and blesses others. Because when you do that, you're actually becoming like your father. You're sowing your sonship. You're showing that you're a true daughter of the King because you're behaving and acting in the way that God himself acts. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning and Lord, we wanna heed your warning. Lord, we wanna acknowledge humbly before you that left to ourselves, we cannot see greed in our lives, Lord. We are truly blind to it. We see it so clearly in others, but we never see it in ourselves. And we pray, Lord, that by your spirit and in community, you would help us front up to greed in our own lives. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would help us to discern 
the true nature of greed in our lives and the roots that have caused our heart to long for other things. But more than that, we pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would help us see God clearly, that we would see this God who knows, this God who cares, this God who has got more than enough, this God who isn't holding back in any way. Holy Spirit, may we see the Father clearly and because we see Him clearly, may we trust Him. May we seek Him and may we emulate Him for your glory and for the good of others. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.